Okay, this is one of our give back episodes. We like to throw in some educational stuff so that we can make sure that our listeners are ahead of the curve when it comes to a lot of important things. And so today we bring on uh, David Mendel from the OGM Group. Uh, really, he's with a, a, a wealth management uh, a team down in Miami, Florida. And we provide some really cool stuff. So a lot of tips and pearls about stuff that really matters. So tax preparation and planning. You know, if, you're, if you've got side hustles in 1099s, what do you do with that money? Can you set up retirement plans with that money as well? How can you be efficient with taxation? And how can you protect your assets? All of these things that really matter to us, regardless whether you're a physician or an industry, or again, as I like to say, my mother Judy's listening as well. These are really important tips that I think that can really make you better. I think it's going to be a great episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. Hashtag follow the fro. From Medical Media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of The Ortho Show podcast, where everyone knows we bring you the best of the best. And orthopedics. We're going to pivot a little bit today. Uh, we're actually going to try and provide an educational episode, uh, something that should be very important to everyone, regardless of whether you're an orthopedic surgeon, an industry, or even my mother, Judy. And that is, what do you do with investments, right? And so we're bringing on David Mandel, who is a partner at the OGM Group. You can see up here for those that are watching. Uh, he is in an asset protection, wealth management, financial planning consulting firm and uh, really works in the space with doctors. That's where he has carved out his niche, uh, whether it's at specialty meetings or a number of the books that he's written. But really, he likes to help and assist doctors in their investments. Uh, I can't think of a uh, of a more important thing right now, David. As I look at the the landscape right now of where of what we're dealing with, whether it's uh, you know unsettled times with increasing interest rates and stock market sucks right now, and inflation is high and banks are closing down. So, man, if there's ever a time that we need you to give us some advice, it is now. Welcome to the show. I'm happy to help, Scott, as you know, and uh, it's good to be on the other side of the mic. We had you on my podcast. It's great to be here. Yeah, the Physician's Wealth Podcast, it was a pleasure to be on, and you've had some of my favorites as well. So we're returning the favor so we can educate our crew as well. So yep. um, let's do it. So, yep. you know, where do you want to start? What's exciting? What's something that we can talk about right now that we can educate our listeners? Well, let's start with something that's a little bit um, in the news, I would say, and it comes from my background. So you mentioned we have a niche in physicians, and you know, I think it's important for the readers, uh, listeners, and, and viewers to know that I come from a family of physicians, and they started in New England in your backyard. And I got into this field as an attorney first. I practiced law for 12 years before forming this wealth management firm. And what I did came directly out of my father's experience as a radiologist in Massachusetts, which was being concerned about liability and concerned about being sued. And when I was in law school back in the early 90s, he was looking around for help because he said, listen, I'm trying to treat patients the best I can. I'm reading films every day, but I know I'm not perfect. There's going to be a bad outcome. There's going to be a mistake. And I don't want to leverage my entire family's uh, wealth and everything I've worked for on that because, you know, yeah, there's malpractice insurance, but what if there's a claim that goes beyond it? And there's actually a pretty uh, well-known case because it made uh, involved uh, 
a professional athlete for the Philadelphia Eagles, an orthopedic surgeon in the practice uh, that treated them. And uh, in earlier this year, a verdict came out against both the physician involved, the surgeon involved, and the practice. As a lawyer, this is important because even the docs who weren't involved in the case are dealing with this aftermath. And the uh, the, the verdict was for uh, over $43 million. So um, this is well beyond your 1-3 coverage. So you can imagine being the surgeon in that position and the partners in that well-known practice who now have an over $20, $20 million judgment against the practice where a case they had nothing to do with. And, you know, your expertise and the docs you come on are always helping each other. How do I practice better? How do I do best for my patients? And that's fine. And that's great. And risk management is important. How do you communicate with patients? Where I come from, it is the the point the uh, the area of asset protection. Meaning, I don't care what the liability is. I don't care if it's a slip and fall or a malpractice claim or a car accident or a business deal that's gone bad. There's a field of law and wealth management called asset protection planning, which is geared towards helping docs, helping clients, helping your listeners before there's a problem, set things up so if there ever is a problem, and it goes beyond insurance, they're not exposed. And I think that's something that's important for people to know about. Okay, so let's talk about that. But first, I think yeah. this case is pretty fascinating, right? Yeah. The average person isn't running around making $10 million a year as an NFL football player, right? When you take on the responsibility of caring for an athlete like that, you better have more than one, three, or two, six, right? And and to so for our listeners, the, the vast majority of doctors that cover these types of professional teams are part of self-insured large large hospital systems that will back them for this. But still, the bottom line is, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, if you're if there is a malpractice case for whatever reason, regardless of fault, that you're protected, right? And you have insurance to cover it. And the last thing you want to do is have to give up your house uh, because you didn't have a Homestead Act or whatever it is that you're going right, to tell right, us right. that we should do, you know, to make sure that that's protected and covered. So give us, give us, you know, five or six tips as to what we can do for asset protection uh, in that situation. Yeah, perfect. So first is something you already mentioned is take advantage. Every state has an exemption statute. Okay. And Massachusetts, I happen to know, actually improved their homestead significantly in the last 10 years. Um, uh, but all 50 states have exemption statutes. So understand what those are and take advantage of them. As an example, okay, I'm I'm a lawyer. I wealth manager for physicians. I'm involved in some startups. I'm not really high exposure, but when I bought my house in Florida, I made sure that the that the acreage was below the Florida exemption amount in terms of you know it, it qualifies for the exemption. Now I'm not worried, right? Because it doesn't. Really, I mean, yeah, I still want to practice well and treat my patients well and drive well on 95 down here, but. I want to take advantage of the exemptions. Then about number two, about half the eastern states, so about a quarter of the states have something called tenancy by the entirety, which is an ownership form you can have with a spouse. Okay, so you got to be married. And of those states, uh, about 10 of or so really protect those at a high level, meaning if you have the ownership of a bank account or a piece of real estate or your home in that ownership form, even if they have a billion dollar judgment against you, if they don't have a claim against the spouse, it's irrelevant. So again, understand that. You know, when I moved to Florida, I knew about that statute because, of course, I do this. But I went to Bank of America and there were all these boxes to check on how am I going to set up my checking account? And that was like the last box. And I guarantee you, most of the docs down here didn't know to check that. Right. And they should. OK. Um, number three, legal tools like and this goes beyond our scope today, but limited partnerships, limited liability companies, 
different types of trusts, all these legal tools, which is what lawyers do when I say this as a lawyer, who help folks say, listen, we don't have great exemptions here. We don't have tenancy by the entirety here. Let's say a listener here is listening in California. You don't really have either of those two good options. So what about some tools I can own and control, but that will give me some protection better than just having it in my own name? So those are three you know, high-level ideas. Again, we've got chapters in our book, which all you viewers can get and listeners for free. But get educated on this field because you don't want to wait to have a problem uh, uh, to come uh, learning about it, you want to put it in place before, just like insurance. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. If you're going to be, you know, successful in life, you want to be able to protect your assets. You know, working with attorneys that understand these things to make sure that you are well protected. Uh, you know, every time, you know, every time I talk to an, an attorney, David, I usually talk fast and they talk slow. Right. And I can just see the see the dollar signs clicking away as we're as we're going. But it's necessary to make sure that you're protected, as you said, with uh, you know things such as limited liability companies, LLCs, and things that you may be doing outside of your clinical practice uh, that could be important for you as well. So let's, you know, what one of the topics, like, I, I just want to sort of roll through some things that sure. I experience on a routine and regular basis. And, you know, one of the things that I get asked all the time now, I'm, I'm on social media, I'm well known, and there's startup companies that are looking for investments. And, and so walk us through a little bit here about the strategy of understanding, you know, a startup and, and what is what is it that you're doing? You know, are you is it is it a is it a convertible, you know, note? Is it a loan that you're doing? Are you getting equity? Most importantly, you know, you have to recognize that this is not like a classic investment. You have to be willing to lose the money. But how do you advise your clients if they come to you on some of these potential startup investments? Yeah, so I, I'll I'll talk sort of big picture because in our you know wealth management firm we all have our individual expertise and I'm not really even though I have an MBA down in the weeds evaluating startups that's not what I do, but uh, I think the most important thing is something you threw in at the end there which I know is the most important which is have it's got to be money that you can lose that's the most important right meaning our job at OJM we manage you know 650 million dollars for physicians okay that's a small firm but every one of our clients is important to us and their goal whatever their goal is my father's a radiologist he worked this morning he's 81 my brother's a cardiologist he's 53 he says when do i have enough to retire okay every one of our clients is different and our goal is to get them there them and often their spouse who may not see exactly eye to eye on risk tolerance so the most important thing that we would say to a client who says, listen, I've got this startup, I've got this PE deal, I can think of an orthopedic surgeon in Atlanta who's always coming to us with different PE deals. So listen, first, let's make sure it's not a big piece and it's, you know, what that means big, it's individualized, but of your retirement portfolio, okay? Let's make sure it is dollars that you can, A, maybe risk to lose, and B, can go without from a time horizon because it's going to be a liquid, Okay. Once we get back that threshold, now we've got a certain amount of money that might be in startups or um, a, a venture or even crypto or what have you. Some of the times we're leaving it up to the physician and the advisor who is actually knows that area, meaning someone comes to me and says, hey, Dave, is this a good real estate deal? And it's in Waltham, Mass. I mean, I can remember Waltham when I went to Harvard. That's about it, right? So I don't know if it's a good deal or not. Are we looking for good experience in the people? Yes, have they done it before? Are we looking for um, you know uh, 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 good comps, that kind of thing? Yes, all right. But beyond that, 
you know, we, uh, um, there's a there's a certain amount of locality in some of these deals or, and I say locality, meaning even the knowledge of medicine. You're involved in a bunch of things regarding to orthopedics. I can't relate to an, or, or make an evaluation of, is this going to solve a problem in orthopedics, right? That's our docs going to figure that out. So our main job is to make sure it fits with their biggest, their bigger plan. And if it goes, if it hits the moon, awesome. But if it doesn't, it doesn't affect their, their, their big time plan. I think that's great advice. I mean, for, for me at any given moment, I like to describe it as I've got like four or five pieces on the chessboard, right? And and the odds of all, all four or five of those actually hitting are probably pretty low. But if one of them hits big, then it's been a worthwhile investment across right. the source. So, I mean, I, I would sort of reiterate to our listeners. So make sure that, you know, you're talking to your investment, you know, people, you have an appropriate strategy. It's the right amount of money that you're not investing too large of a sum of money of your overall portfolio. Right. Uh, check with check your check with your wife to make sure she's OK with the risk as, as well. But, you know, identifying the expertise of the people that you're working with is important. Uh, and oftentimes for me, uh, if I'm going to invest in these projects, I like to know who the people are. I'd like to see their track record. Have they had success before? It doesn't guarantee success now, but you got to be willing to lose that money because yep. there's a good chance it won't work out. All right. Yep. So one of the other one of the other things that a lot of us do uh, outside of our clinical practice and going to work every day and pressing buttons and seeing patients is side hustles. And what do I mean right. by side hustles? Well, it could be medical device design. It could be professional education. And you become a 1099 employee uh, to these companies. It's all part of the, you know, the sun, uh, the sunshine act. So everybody knows what you got. So right. please make sure that to our listeners, that. that you're not hiding anything, follow the rules very carefully. You don't want to be called out in the New York times. That's a bad thing. But the bottom line is you can generate significant income and there's no taxes that are taken out of this. And so how do you mitigate that tax responsibility? Do you set up a PC? Do you set up an LLC? Are there going to be expenses that you can you know, generate while you're doing this? Give us some ideas as to how we can be tax efficient with our 1099s. Yeah, we have a ton of clients who, who, who have outside income, whether it's from speaking or product design or... Um, uh, you know, industry work, all that kind of stuff, the kind of stuff you do. So, um, it, and it depends on how much. And, you know, I was talking to my partner, Carol, the CPA, before we came on, because I knew you wanted to chat about this. And, you know, I want to just like high level ballpark. But again, so don't stick me on the exact dollars. But, you know, zero to 30,000, we're probably looking at like a SEP. You know, you, you don't have to do or set up a structure. Again, depending if how much write-offs you're going to want to go through it. Right. There's there is certainly you can have a, a real business with a lot of expenses in a Schedule C where you don't create any entity. But at some level, as it gets higher and higher, you might become more of an audit risk. It might be better to create an entity and you could save some Medicare taxes on it, meaning um, you could pay yourself a compensation and take a distribution and you can save that three point eight percent. OK. If you start to get above 100, that's when we start to say, yeah, let's create an entity here. It may make sense at that point to to sponsor um, uh, like a defined benefit plan. I mean, we have clients who are making a couple hundred thousand dollars. It goes through an LLC. Okay. They can write off a bunch of expenses that are related to that. Anything from you know, travel, uh, conferences, dinners, you know, things, it's a real business, right? I mean, they're interacting. I mean, uh, all this kind of stuff. Um, and it allows them to sponsor potentially a qualified plan and a defined benefit plan is a, a kind of a qualified plan on steroids and maybe even a non-qualified plan. So that a lot of 
if not most of that income that's going there will end up deductibly in some kind of plan for them. So that they, you know, at the end of the day, if they say, listen, I'm making a hundred grand out of this, but I don't really need it, but I'd love it to be growing for me. We can't get them hundred percent there. We can get them pretty close. All right. So, so, so let's talk about that. Cause I think it's really important, right? You yeah. can't just keep adding on plans and plans and plans. Like, so let's say you have a retirement plan through your orthopedic practice yeah. and you're, you're maximizing that as best as you can. But now you've got, and you've hit the max. You've hit the, yep. the, the max of whatever your retirement plan is within your practice. Are you allowed to set up another plan to get additional income into some sort of a qualified or non-qualified plan? Well, I'm not billing you. So I'm going to make this. A, 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 in fact, I want to get back to one thing you said, which is success factor in dealing with lawyers. If you can try to work with them on a flat fee basis. I mean, that's the way I've tried to work my whole career. Uh, uh, nobody likes uh, we don't like, lawyers do not like our client who wants to get off the phone quickly and we can't give them the real answer because they're so worried about the last minute. So just, I wanted to make that point, it popped up. But it, but that's a serious point. In a joking way, I'll give you the answer. The answer is yes, you can, but like anything, it depends, right? That's the lawyer answer. There's, there's two sets of rules. There's the controlled group and affiliated service group rules. So control group means, do you own essentially 50% or more? So in that practice, if you're just one of eight docs who owns it, fair game. You can set up another uh, uh, qualified plan okay, that puts away just as much, if not more, than the one at the practice. If it's just you and another partner or just you, probably not. Okay, So that's the first test. Then it's affiliated service. Are these doing the same things? Right, like you couldn't have the surgery center and the practice each with its same uh, 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 with different plans because they're involved in the actual delivery of services. But here you have something, again, classic case. You're one of, let's say, partners. You do a bunch of industry work. You're making money there. You can do a plan that is as equal to like a profit sharing plan at the practice or even greater, like a defined benefit plan. So you can't have multiple bites, but you got to play by all the rules. I think that's great. That was a really solid explanation because I think that sometimes gets lost. So again, for our listeners, I want to be clear about that. So if you're in a two-man group and you own 50%, you know that's a problem. But most of us aren't. Most of us have at least a few partners. So you can have whatever your plan is through your orthopedic practice. And there you're clinically taking care of patients. You're generating income as a doctor. Now you have additional income. Let's say it's 100000 for your side hustles, which are 1099s. You're not practicing medicine. You're you're consulting. You're teaching. You know whatever it is that you may be doing, and that's separate. And that's so in the in the eyes of the IRS, that's a different vehicle. And so therefore, you can you can put money aside into that plan and, and go. So that, I think that's uh, that's really solid advice. Yeah, and and it, it could even be practice of medicine if it's unrelated. Like my father, you know, he was a radiologist, so he had side hustles back before they called him that, right? Reading films at night for chiropractic offices. He would work for the VA, which obviously they didn't pay him like a ten ninety nine. But there were things that you could that you can still use your license in other ways. It just can't be affiliated service with the related main, main practice. Yeah, awesome. All right, so yep. we're gonna, we're going to segue into the next topic, which I think sure. is one of the hot, hottest topics. So, uh, yeah. you know, my private equity group and Chris Fusco, who is our CEO, sometimes makes fun of me because he says that orthopedics is my side hustle. Mm -hmm. But I got to tell you, Chris, I'm still working really hard. I did my <laughs> uh, my seven cases today. But, you know, that's one of the things that we're seeing. So it right. sounds to me like you have some clients that have, have become a part of that. I'm just curious, 
because I know it's probably not just orthopedic surgeons that you deal with as well, but you know, what's been your experience with your clients as far as private equity is concerned? And then have you seen any, anybody go through a second bite yet or evolution of private equity passing on to the next group? Yeah, you're right. So we, we have docs in all different types of practices and, um, We've seen this for a while. I mean, uh, going back, I think originally to pain management, I, I can think of a practice that uh, was clients of ours who became the platform. And I can think of another practice that actually became um, acquired by them in addition to lots of others. And they certainly had bite one or number one and two, and it might've been three because we're talking about 12 years from now. So I haven't followed uh, where the deal has gone, but uh, we've seen it, you know, go into all different practices. Dermatology was kind of after that, and ophthalmology, and now, you know, orthopedics. And, and I think, in my perspective, just doing this and working with clients for you know nearly thirty years now, is that I think the big positive is that it shows physicians that there's value to their practice. And that was not the case in the mindset of many docs. I had a lot of docs, you know, ten years and earlier, saying, eh, "Am I just, you know, you know, lock up?" And see if any, you know, may, or I'm just going to leave the practice and get uh, six months of receivables. And I was always of the mindset that that did not make sense, that there was a real value here. Yes, of course, there's the medical practice, there's the physician treating the patient. You can't move that out. But with the advent of PAs and in, in extenders, there is even treatments that doesn't have to be by the physician. And there's all the value of everything else. You know, the marketing, getting docs, getting patients to the practice and them coming back for additional uh, work and all that kind of stuff. So to me, it's a net positive. Now, do we have, uh, you know, we have our podcast. We've had some docs on talking about them, their considerations going through the practice. I have an orthopedic group that was two years after um, the practice, the CEO and one of the uh, docs talking about how they had to go through COVID together and, you know, the stresses and the things that were, went well and didn't go so well. Um, uh, I think self-selecting people don't come and talk to me about deals they're not happy with. I hear more from people who want to get on the podcast and talk about deals they're happy with. But I think in my view, overall, it's a positive because at least gives physicians a choice that there is a business uh exit here. There is a, a partnership. There is a um, there is a way to be entrepreneurial and, and, and do something bigger than like a standalone practice. And to me, that's a positive thing. Yeah. I mean, value. You, you said it very well, right? I mean, if I were to retire tomorrow, I'd probably collect on three months accounts receivable. Uh, I can't go and sell a practice of 30 years to some new guy coming out because the, the practice has been established based on my goodwill. And the, and the relationships that I've developed and the master expertise that I've developed that people right. s- seek you out. So this is a unique way in, in which you can have you know value to your practice. Uh, it has fair market value that can be sold and, and upon you know completion. Uh, and then all of the other benefits that we've talked about in other podcasts where, you know, scaling of the economies of scale and best practices and things like that. But I think it was nice. I wanted to be able to bring it up just so that, you know, as a financial advisor, you know, and that you've sort of been through this with some of your clients in a successful manner as well. So we're we're coming close, but I want to make one other point before we finish that, which is our role, you know, we're not transaction attorneys. I'm not an M&A attorney. I'm not an investment banker. But what we do is we help clients understand what is it going to look like day two for them and the family? Right. So they're going to get this chunk of change on the first transaction, but their income may come down and they might get a second bite, but might not. So let's model that out. So, again, doc 
and spouse, and it could be two docs, right? All right. But that both people understand what it might look like, best case, medium case, worst case, because the last thing anybody wants to do is go through this and then realize, God, I really shouldn't have done this deal. Didn't really move the needle financially for me. And now I have to deal with partners I didn't, you know, really understand. So uh, that's our role. And I think docs, you know, listening to this should should have someone on their team who's looking out for their personal financial life afterwards, not just the business part, but personally, how's it going to affect numbers? I think that that's fantastic advice. And I would recommend that to any doctor that's listening, that's considering going through a private equity deal, because, you know, the haircut, the 30% haircut is real, right? All of a sudden, yeah, you're going to get a chunk of money and you're going to get an investment into into the the rollover equity. But at the end of the day, you're going to make 30% less than you did. And what I've experienced is that my kids have not stopped ordering DoorDash at all, as if anything, the DoorDash rate has increased since we've gone to private equity. So my expenses haven't gone down, but my revenue has. And so you got to plan for that. You can't just yeah. take the money and just go and run. So solid, solid advice there, Dave. And I want our listeners to think about that, uh, to find a, a financial quarterback or a CEO of the house to help out with that for sure. So let's give a couple of quick pearls. It's a it's a really small topic, okay? How about like, like tax reduction? So uh, for, 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 you, know, you can yeah. give us like two minutes to know, for, for real. Give us just some some ideas and, and thoughts to your clients when you talk about tax tax reduction and tax planning preparation uh, as to some of the pearls that are required to make sure that you get this thing right. So, yeah, I think number one, quick, is just realize that tax planning is not the same as tax preparation, return prep. So a lot of docs will come to me and say, yeah, I've been with my guy. I've been with my woman for 20 years. I've never been audited. I seem to be fine. But they're never bringing me ideas. Okay, and that's okay, right? I, I just talked about my partner, Carol, who I spoke to. At OJM Group, what we do is bring that forward-looking tax uh, uh, planning to clients. We're not here to replace anybody's accountant. Carol does not want to be your CPA, okay? But we have the benefit of working with 1,500 physicians and all their CPAs. So we're kind of looking at what the best practices is at the practice with 1099 income, with personal expenses, as we have new opportunities with things like the SECURE Act or changes to Roth. What are the best practices? And if you're only talking about that to your accountant after the first of the year, when you're getting all your stuff and giving it to them, the K-1s from your startups and all this stuff, it's too late, right? Forward-looking is tax planning. Backwards-looking is tax prep. So if you're not getting tax planning, get it. Okay? It doesn't have to be from the same person who's doing the tax prep, but those are two different skill sets. I'll tell, I say in lectures all the time, what do you think tax attorneys do? Almost none of them, none of them prepare tax returns, and only a few of them do you know, do uh, controversy work where they're fighting. So they're doing a lot of planning, you know, and that's what we try to do. So that's number one. Number two, benefit plans. We talked about that a little bit with 1099 income, but make sure you're, you're doing the best you can with write-offs with qualified plans at your practice, but also non-qualified plans. And we can talk about that another time, but non-qualified plans basically act as unlimited Roths where you don't get a deduction today, but they grow tax-free and come out tax-free. And this is what executives at you know, banks and all these other firms do. Uh, they may do it with stock options. We can't do that, but we can do it with other uh, asset classes. And it's something that people should uh, be aware of that's out there. I mean, that's great. I think that, uh, you know, as I look at this, 
you know, Dave, I think what you do and you function as is a way to coordinate all of these important people that are providing you advice and counsel, right? As doctors, we're experts at, at clinical care. We're not experts necessarily in running the stock market or tax planning or, you know, all of the things that are necessary to have financial success as we move forward. And so having a, like a, a quarterback or a CEO, someone like yourself that can help to organize all of those things together, I think, uh, provides for better communication and hopefully uh, people to have more success with their overall investment strategy. I mean, that, that was the vision of creating the firm when I left law practice was create a multi-specialty practice uh, that had a diagnostic element to it so people could come to us and say, hey, just help us for a flat fee, not on an hourly basis. And then some of them will become long-term clients, you know, and, and to provide uh, education. So, you know, I'll plug our books. You can get them. We're going to have a, a special uh, code for this uh, uh, ortho show, we'll call it ortho show 23. And you can go to our website, um, ojmbookstore.com and get any of our books for free uh, as uh, being a listener here or a viewer. And uh, we hope people get educated. You know, a lot, of, we've had we've had 20,000 docs get our books. I wrote a book called, uh, called The Doctor's uh, Asset Protection Guide, 1998, 25 years ago, uh, but only, uh, you know, 1,500 clients. That means 80% of the folks who get our book, you know, go to their local person and that's fine. Right. Some people will become clients. What I want is docs to be educated and uh, um, be as effective and efficient as they can be and not make mistakes. Well, that was our goal here today, David, is that we wanted to be able to educate our listeners and our viewers as uh, for, the, for the people that are going to be watching us on the YouTube channel. You're going to be able to see Dave's contact information. It's all up front. We'll make sure that all of that information is also inside the feed uh, for the Ortho Show as well. So you'll be able to find that without a problem. David, it has been a pleasure having you on. We really greatly appreciate your expertise and your ability to help educate our listeners. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.